Today we're joined by Michael Rue. He's the Marketing and Sales Manager at the University of Illinois Press. Michael is another really smart UP marketing person. Uh, he's got a lot of great ideas on where we're going, what we're doing, and how to improve uh, the marketing of scholarly books. So we thought we'd bring Michael on, we'll do a little uh, trigger word phrase action again and see where it takes us. I'm Martin Beanie and you're listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press podcast. Well, hi, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Martin. How are things? Uh, excellent. Excellent. So I guess we're going to chat marketing. Uh, sounds good. Yeah. I, uh, I've listened to a handful of your uh, marketing podcasts and really enjoyed them. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's, I think it's, uh, it's always fun to chat with somebody, A, who does similar thing, but also, you know, has uh, a mind that likes to question why we even do it, right? So you and I have had some, <laughs> we've had some interesting chats over the years, and I thought, yeah, you'd be perfect for this. So, um, yeah, here we are. So I'm going to throw uh, a, a keyword or a trigger word at you, and, and you'll do the same in return afterwards, and we'll just kind of see where it takes us. Sounds good. Okay, so my first one for you, um, and it's a, it's a two words, and I feel as though we hear these a lot in our business, but course adoption. So, you know, um, here at Illinois, um, we've never really had, or at least as long as I've been here, uh, 2005, we've never had a core textbook or, you know, a book that sells thousands of copies per year um, into classrooms. You know, we have some that are 500 to 1,000. We have some that are, you know, more that are 300 to 500. Um, and so there's not, we don't have this one book that we kind of count on every, every year to bring in a lot of money. Um, and so as library sales, you know, started to, started to dip, and we were looking for other markets for our books, um, we really ramped up kind of what we uh, started doing for course adoption. So um, there was a, a person on staff who, um, you know, uh, did a little bit of course adoption work, but but she was part-time. We made her full-time. We we actually put the, the phrase course adoption coordinator in her title. Um, and what we try to do is kind of, speed up the cycle of books being exam examined and and then adopted um and uh um you know she went she she went on a aaup residency to a, a press that um had a pretty strong course adoption um program um just so she could learn kind of some tricks for uh for how to go about thinking about what she was doing um, we subscribed to uh, um, PubTrack Higher Ed so that we could identify, well, we would identify comp titles, but then we could put those comp titles into PubTrack and see what instructors uh, were using those titles at, at which schools. And then we would target, um, uh, we started targeting those instructors with uh, um, course adoption email campaigns, um, offering exam copies. And so uh, um, it's become a bigger part of what, of what we've been doing over the past few years. Um, uh, the course adoption coordinator is very active collaborating with the acquisitions department, um, you know, on which titles acquisitions thinks will be right for the, for the classroom. And I don't know if you've had this experience. It feels like 
every peer review that I read for every book we publish says that, you know, this book it would be great for course adoption and lists the various fields or, or classes it would be right for. And to the point where I don't really even feel that's helpful. I yeah. mean, do you have that same experience? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's why I, I kicked off with the phrase that we always hear because, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it almost got to a cry, it's got to a cry wolf stage almost where you, you read those peer reviews and if you believe the peer reviews, right, then everybody is adopting everybody's book. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's right. It's happening. <laughs> and, and, you know, there, there are often um, peer reviewers that would say, I would love to adopt this book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I would have used it last semester and I almost started a chart so I could keep track, right. You know, uh, of the, of the peer reviewer and the book that they said they would love to adopt and then right. kind of go back to that. Um, I haven't done that, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it we found that our, um, exam requests, um, went up, uh, you know, 30 to 40% in the first year that we, that we um, started paying more attention to it. And uh, those numbers of sort of those exam copy numbers have plateaued since then. Um, but we got them to a higher point, um, you know, before they plateaued. And um, now just looking at ways to, to increase those numbers further still. Now we, we charge uh, $7 for each exam copy, and that's basically to cover the cost of shipping and handling. Um, CDC does our fulfillment, and so we're looking to kind of cover those costs. Um, what do you, I mean, what have you done in the past as far as um, charging for exam copies? Yeah, I mean, I think every press has a different, uh, a different approach. Um, you know, when I was at Nebraska, uh, we, had a, a fee for they had a fee there for essentially for the same thing you know the the shipping and handling um well no sorry originally it was there was an actual fee for the uh for the exam copy plus shipping and handling then we changed that to just a a, a flat fee for it cover everything uh the same is the case here at cornell it's uh you know just a shipping charge but, i mean i've really i mean i've experimented a little bit uh, with f- just completely free, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the cost. I mean, it's it's essentially a, a paperback printing. I'm not doing it with the hardcovers so much because they're probably not getting adopted so much anyhow. And then, yeah, you know, eat the eat the shipping to encourage it. But um, I, I want to come back to that because I'm intrigued. I want to ask you about digital exam copies. But before I do, you mentioned PubTrack. And yeah. so... Uh, I, I've used PubTrack uh, at both Nebraska and uh, Cornell. And, you know, about, I don't know, three months ago, Nielsen got in touch with me and said that PubTrack is no longer um, a thing. So I thought that was a really good tool, particularly the way you, were, you, you, you described using it. Um, what's, your, what's your plan moving forward without PubTrack? Yeah, that's a good question. Um... You know, before um, I know that we used MDRless um, uh, before I was marketing manager, and and um, you know, kind of in the early aughts, and uh, I think we found that price-wise, uh, the, the the lists just weren't as targeted as say what uh, what we were doing with PubTrack. I know that um, we we uh, 
downloaded a lot of information for our forthcoming titles a few months ago. Um, <laughs> so we're still sort of working from the list, uh, the list that we had, but I, but I don't know what we're going to do from a, from a targeting standpoint. No. Um, that will that will kind of equal what we've been doing the last few years. Yeah. Um, we you know we might have to rely more on on author suggestions yeah. um, uh, and do a little bit more of the legwork um, ourselves instead of relying on kind of that third party service to do that for us for a fee. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just sort of quickly on on course option before we move on to something else, but. Um, so you mentioned the, the the fee for a print exam copy. Are you doing much with digital exam copies? Um, you know, we haven't uh, we haven't done much. We uh, we have a subscription with NetGalley, and we've tried using NetGalley a little bit. Um, I think that that works great for kind of advanced review copies, but it doesn't feel like it works as well for, um, for exam copies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we use, we use NetGalley for, for books that are coming out in the future and we put uncorrected proof pages up. Um, and we also have a limited number um, based on our subscription. And so we, um, uh, we don't have that, that much room to, uh, to do exam copies through NetGalley. Um, and we have uh, we experimented once with uh, um, a digital exam copy, and it didn't seem like, at least in the offer we made via email, it didn't seem to be uh, as attractive to the re the recipients as the print copy. Yeah. Um, and so we haven't, you know, I, I think we'll probably do it again. We have experimented, like you said, offering uh, free exam copies for certain series. You know, if we're trying to get a series off the ground. We have a, a modern masters of science fiction series, and and um, we've done some free exam copies for that to try and kick it off, and we got we got really good response to the free, mm -hmm. um, but um, we sort of do that in in selected cases. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah the um, the digital thing is you know it's tricky, I think, and and sort of sums up our whole business in a way, right? In in that we're we're trying to move more digitally to take advantage of platforms and technologies and abilities to, to to disseminate what we do and yet we're also still dealing with a largely non-digital market uh at least in the in the sense of of uh traditional uses of books or traditional styles of books so yeah it's a bit of a dilemma how we how we handle it well one, I want to ask you, you know, one of the things that, that we do related to course adoption is trying to review um, titles that are doing fairly well and and um, provide reports to our acquisitions department um, that uh, might prompt them to seek out a new edition. Mm -hmm. um, how, act, how active are, are you in doing that? Um, I would say not very at this point, although I think it's a really smart idea because, I mean, one of the things we all run into, right, with course adoption, with particularly with books that are perennially course adop or adopted for class, is that, yeah, we run into the whole used copy market. Um, and the best way around that is a new edition that is, you know, uh, usurps the old one. And... Um, and I think it's we, we. I think we all probably agree that it's the smart way to to keep re-upping uh, course adoption 
although it, it isn't always as easy as, at least in my mind, it's like, oh yeah, we'll just do another, a new edition. And then of course, you know, you have to get somebody who actually do the, do the work right. um, up front. But yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, just not something that's high on my radar, I guess, at the moment. And, and in many ways, one of the reasons that I wanted to throw the words course adoption at you is because it, it, it's probably not a strength in some ways uh, of our marketing and something we keep looking at. So it's just like, you know, how do you, uh, you know, talking to other people like yourself who, who have had uh, more experiences with it perhaps is just, you know, useful for us all to hear. Um, it, as long as I mentioned acquisitions related to course adoption, I kind of wanted to throw that word back at you, um, acquisitions. Yeah, it's a, that was a wonderful segue. You should be a, a podcast host. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, we, yeah, we we chatted beforehand a little bit to uh, to make sure that we you know we kind of both had a sense of what we were going to talk about, and um, you you sent me that word, and, and I'm like, oh, do I do I go there? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's a really fascinating word for marketing teams to think about. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, it, this has been crossing my mind a little bit recently is what role, if any, uh, should marketing be playing in the acquisitions of new books? And, you know, if you think about, I, I often like try and think about, I don't know, say, uh, a, a completely different coming up with a new product and, and the research and development team is, is looking into it. I mean, they're going to have sales and marketing people involved in that process you know, from the very beginning, right? I mean, yeah, is there right. any market for this book? Um, and I think we do that to a degree in the in the university press world. And you know, that uh, you mentioned the the board packets or the pre board packets or whatever an individual institution calls them. Um, and so, obviously, the marketing teams involved there, and you know, there's probably conversations, uh, sort of by uh, bilateral conversations, maybe that an editor and a marketing person chat about, what do you think about this potential project? Um, but I don't know how systematic it is, but I also don't know how, if, uh, how uh, efficient it is either for the marketing team to be involved in that sort of early, early stages. I, I, these are you know, things I think about a lot and yet don't seem to ever be able to form uh, an actual concrete thought. So then my brain keeps going to, well, um, you know, there's a couple of examples out there at, at a few different presses of marketing people who are also acquiring books. Um, you know, uh, IU Press was doing it for a while. Um, the uh, Northwestern, I think, has somebody doing it. Um, maybe it's, it's MIT, I believe, has a marketing person acquiring books. There's a few examples. Uh, mm -hmm. And so just, yeah, I, not that I want to... Uh, you know, wade into the world of acquisitions in any sense, um, and certainly not on the on the scholarly side. But I, I, every now and then, I keep thinking: is there a is there an opportunity, or is there a usefulness for marketing people to think about acquiring some trade books? Um, and so that would be where my brain goes. Although, again, I, I certainly uh, for all my acquisitions colleagues out there, I'm not advocating this. Just kind of like. Uh, wondering. So I, 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 back to you. I mean, do you have any uh, thoughts in either of those sides of, of acquiring? So 
um, starting, you know, with a, a manuscript that comes into acquisitions, there have been times that the acquisitions department has um, sought out um, marketing's advice and, you know, it was maybe a title that we were more enthusiastic about um, mm -hmm. at the outset than, than maybe acquisitions thought we would be, or they were excited themselves. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I think, you know, sometimes marketing just looks at a book um, from a different angle and sees possibilities there that the acquisitions department doesn't see um, or the individual acquiring the book doesn't anticipate. Um, so I really appreciate when our acquisitions editors, you know, seek out early input. Um, you know, they don't do it for every book. Um, but, but yeah, there are definitely books where, where, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out themselves, you know, to do this book, right. We're going to need to, you know, have a certain art program or, or do it in cloth first. And, you know, we're going to need to print this many copies to make it economically feasible. And, and, you know, marketing department, what do you think about that? Mm -hmm. Um, as far as marketing acquiring, you know, I, I think I was influenced a lot by, um, Lisa Bayer's tenure here, um, when she was marketing manager. So before she, um, she took the director's job at Georgia, she was the marketing manager and I was the publicity manager at the time. And she had come from, I think just prior to Illinois, she'd come from Minnesota His historical society press. Mm. Um, and, um, uh, you know, she came and said, well, we did a book called Barnes of Minnesota. Let's do a book called Barnes of Illinois. And, and you, you know, the, she just kind of had ideas like that coming to the press that, um, you know, were great ideas that we applied and, and, and um, put out books. And I think that it illustrated to me and I was it was early in my publishing career. I'd come from like I'd come from some some I'd come from music. And um, and so it was really helpful to me to see how those, those ideas could be applied to our list. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think Mark, the marketing department has continued to try and have a uh, um, hand in some of the acquisitions. There was a short time before I took on the um, sales manager role as well, where I was acquiring, I acquired a few books and, through that experience suggested that there be sort of this joint acquisitions, um, marketing, um, like regional trade committee that would meet quarterly um, and just talk about different ideas, you know, whether that's looking through other university press catalogs and, and identifying books, you know, regional books that, that maybe, you know, <laughs> Johns Hopkins is doing out East that, that mm -hmm. would make sense for the Midwest or, you know, that University of Iowa is doing for Iowa, the state of Iowa that would that would work uh, for the state of Illinois. And so um, there's a group of six of us that, that gets together every uh, every three three months. And we just talk about ideas that that either we've seen in other catalogs or that that, um, uh, you know, we've come up with or our colleagues have shared with us. It's also kind of an opportunity for other voices um, to to add ideas. So some of my marketing colleagues that aren't part of this committee, um, you know, generate ideas and share them with me or or others from marketing that are are on the committee, and and then we can kind of pitch those um, in these quarterly meetings. So um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wonder. Uh, just in case Lisa is listening, uh, I just checked, and there is no Barnes of Georgia book at this moment. So, uh, <laughs> Fingers crossed that's forthcoming. 
<laughs> well, you know, she um, she was a, a very big advocate for um, oh, the, actually the best selling new book that we've had published over the past five years was uh, is titled Edible Wild Mushrooms of Illinois and surrounding states. And th- though I don't think she's officially credited as being the acquisitions editor on that title, she was very instrumental in it coming to the press. And we since like published um, other mushroom books that have done very well. Um, so, so can you also check to see if there's a Mushrooms of Georgia book? Because uh, I do, I will. Um, because if she doesn't do it, we will. I kind of love that uh, that title, Mushrooms of Illinois and Surrounding States. Like, if that isn't a marketing uh, brainstorming, yeah. you know, group, like, how do we make this wider appeal? Oh, let's just throw in and surrounding states. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, yeah, I, I will check as we're chatting here about uh, uh, mushrooms of Georgia because, like you say, it seems like a missed opportunity if it's not. Um, I'm going to flip us a little bit, and uh, we had a couple of things to chat about. So I'm going to let you pick. You uh, do you want to talk Barnes and Noble, or do you want to talk future of book marketing? Um, boy. Um... We can talk future of, of book marketing. Um, not that I, not that I can predict what it's going to be, but I can tell you what I think about when I hear that that phrase. Perfect. Um, so, like a couple things come to mind. Um, the first thing is, you know, coming from from publicity here at the press, the one thing I observed is that the 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 thing that the marketing department does that can generate the biggest sort of one-time burst of sales um, relative to the other things that marketing does, you know, whether it's dis- exhibits or um, setting up an event or advertising, um, you know, seem to be publicity, right? If you could, if you could uh, get uh, a, you know, great review in the wall street journal um, or sort of, in our case, multiple media hits in Chicago around an event that really could could jumpstart sales. And so it's hard for me to see that the future of book marketing won't have some sort of connection to, you know, what I would call filters or tastemakers or influencers, right? That, you know, I mean, my family is this huge consumer of of pop culture, whether it's, you know, subscribing to 20 magazines or still buying vinyl LPs or, you know, purchasing books uh, on an e-reader and and print books. And, you know, we find that we find those things by into stores or by, um, uh, you know, reading magazines and and seeing reviews or reading shelf awareness and, and seeing reviews there. They're just these, they're these filters that, that, exist and I feel like we'll have to continue to exist um, for people to find out um, new titles or titles that people are talking about. Um, and so when I, when I hear talk about, you know, open access and, and we don't do, we don't have any really open access titles here um, or we have two, but, but we don't really have a program for them. Um, you know, the, the marketing, the marketing piece seems to have been taken out of the consideration of what happens with open access, or at least, you know, the, the, what I've read about the various programs. Mm -hmm. And, 
And so, you know, uh, whenever you hear about funding for open access projects, it's how do you fund the the production of them and the you know the launch of them, yeah. but not necessarily how do you prom- you know how do you promote the open access pieces. Yeah. And so, even though scholarship may want to be free, I just I'm not convinced that the authors of those of that scholarship. doesn't want their their works to be promoted in some way whether that's a you know the creation of a flyer or display at an exhibit Uh um all the a lot of the things that we currently do and so uh, i guess the 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 long-winded answer is i i think the future of marketing will still contain kind of this publicity or promotion piece where you're trying to reach influencers and and um, you know, have them spread it through whatever system is in place, whether it's Twitter or, or you know, a, a magazine review or an interview on TV. I mean, I, I still think that's going to remain important. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Th- so, I mean, feel free to jump in. I, the other, yeah. the other thing I think about is, you know, social media and where that's going, and mm-hmm. and, you know, I I sort of launched the the blog and the Facebook presence and the Twitter feed, you know, our Twitter presence. Um, and the publicity managers that have come after me have been, you know, more conversant um, than the person coming before them, right? So the person who, who oversees our social media um, platforms now really, you know, is someone who grew up using it and and really enjoys doing that and uh um i I think has has boosted um our social media presence certainly from from where it started when i was doing it but we've i guess the thing we're trying to do is is since we don't have um a person who's who is totally dedicated to doing that 100 percent of their time um We've been trying to find ways to uh, to use the um, resources on campus that exist in mm-hmm. students mm-hmm. Um, to produce social media content. And so we're in the second year of a uh, program with our gender and women's studies department where we have a student 10 hours a week. Uh, she gets credit for, um, for her work here. And she works with our publicity manager um, on campaigns for our gender and women's studies titles and, you know, looks ahead to the National Women's Studies Association meeting and is thinking about, you know, what sort of, um, you know, campaign um, using the conference hashtag that, that she'll do around, uh, around the conference and, you know, what, which authors are going to be there and how she can kind of coordinate all those things. And so, um, as a follow-up to what we're doing with the gender and women's studies department, we've also started working with students from the African-American studies department and the college of media to um, help us publicize our books um, um, in those, in those fields. And so I guess the future is maybe, you know, not relying on, on only the resources that that are currently employed by the press, but also, you know, people, you know, grad students or undergrads that are that are studying in those fields who can help help us, you know, um, deliver deliver a certain message um, through social media platforms. I love that idea of, of uh, uh, department 
discipline targeted marketing through through a student from that from that field that's fantastic um i'll go back so i think i'm in complete agreement with you about the importance of quote unquote publicity however you define that right and just the sort mm -hmm. of driving force that publicity is uh, and unlike you i don't come from a publicity background but i just i really like it's it's really what drives marketing and i i'm i think that that's going to continue to be the case I thought your comment about uh, open access and marketing is really interesting. I wrote about this on our Cornell blog here just a little while ago. Um, you know, the idea of trying to sell something that's free, right? Like, what does yeah. that mean? And I think that is going to really tax all of us marketing types over the next few years because even though you at Illinois may not have a lot of open access at this point, um, you're probably going to have more, I guess, at some stage. And there are already presses that are sort of really diving into it. And um, scholars love this idea uh, of, of open access content. But I think you nailed it with, but they still want their book to be found, right? right. And, yeah. And, and how, we, how we tweak marketing teams, um, perhaps outside of the publicity, wing but how we tweak the rest of the marketing team to to be able to promote content that that sort of is uh well it's free but also not necessarily it, i mean it's sort of, in some ways it's still if you take the the exhibit as the classic thing right so the exhibit is still a very traditional model of of uh university press life and yeah. when you attend a scholarly conference and you go to the exhibit, the vast majority of people are, are wandering around the exhibit, picking up physical books. And at this point, it's really hard to replicate that with an open access digital only product. Now, obviously, if there's a print version of the, of the digital access of the open access book, great. Um, but it's going to be tough. And I think that's a really, I think that, Looking forward to what is the future of marketing, I think how we deal with open access uh, from a marketing standpoint is, yeah, is going to be really crucial. So, yeah. And funding, funding that in some way. I mean, I, or I think oh, it's just at least acknowledging that there needs to be a funding source for that piece of it if you, if you want it promoted. Yeah, um, I was at the... Um, so uh, Cornell, we have a, a Cornell Open, which is a Mellon NEH uh granted you know uh open access program and i attended last year a meeting in dc with all the other presses that were, that were part of this and um one of the questions that that uh the neh and, and the mellon foundation were asking is okay so what do you need right like if we're going to continue doing this as a as a uh as a program what is it you need and i think the overwhelming sense uh from people there and there were people from all different parts of, of presses uh was we have to spend we have to have funds to market these things no matter how that may be done um what you're saying is the kind of forgotten piece and and people were saying yeah we this is going to cost more than people think um yeah so yeah well we have uh i hope not uh, completely bored everybody I did check up and uh, there's already a Mushrooms of Georgia book so <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, that one we cannot steal, but um, but maybe Barnes of Georgia. There'll be a there'll be a fight now between uh, between you guys and Lisa over in over in Georgia. Um, Michael, I really appreciate chatting to you. I always appreciate chatting to you. You've got some great insights to share, and, and I hope everybody enjoyed it. So thanks for coming along. Uh, thanks, Martin. And you may have inspired me to start my own podcast. So uh, I might be calling you back in about two or three months. <laughs> Excellent. I love it. I really, I, uh, I hope that I can add you to my uh, my list of University Press podcasts as as soon as possible. Sounds good. Talk All to right. You soon. Take care. Well, that was Michael Rue, the marketing and sales manager at the University of Illinois Press. Uh, I would give you Michael's Twitter handle, but sadly, I'm fairly certain he's not on there. Uh, Michael, if you're listening, join us. Twitter's a great place for marketing uh, types to have a conversation and uh, chat through these kind of things again. Uh, you can find me at Martin Beeney, M-A-R-T-Y-N-B-E-E-N-Y. And uh, until next time, you've been listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press podcast. Thank you.